Welcome to episode 6 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. For those people who love to travel, and those who love having a cold beer wherever they are in the world, this is the perfect place for you. Our guest today is my good friend Caroline Lupini, a world traveler, award booker, freelance writer, and editor. Caroline and I first met back when she was still in college and had just been bitten by the travel bug. She came to a travel conference in the D.C. area and joined a group of us for lunch at one of my favorite restaurants, Elephant Jumps Thai Restaurant. Side note, if you're ever in the area, you must go and try their amazing food. Within a year after that first meeting, Caroline and I were off for an adventure together in Guatemala, and we've been friends and travel companions ever since even though she long ago passed me in the number of countries each of us has been to. We may be in different countries as we record today, but I'm sure we'll end up in the same place again soon. Just a couple quick notes before we get into the interview. Here at Miles and Pints, we're getting more and more listeners every week, so welcome to those of you who are new. Be sure to go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes so you can hear the great things that those guests had to say too. If any of our listeners have requests or suggestions about what you'd like to hear or who we should talk to, please stop by our site at milesandpints.com and use the contact form to let us know. We want to make this show as good as we possibly can, and hearing from you helps that happen. And now it's time to get right into it. So sit back, relax, maybe crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy my conversation with Caroline Lupini. We're chatting today with Caroline Lupini, who is a serious world traveler who I believe thinks of home as somewhere to stop by between trips. So welcome to the show, Caroline. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a it's a pleasure to have you here. This is a, a bit of a first for the Miles and Pints podcast in that we are not only recording from different places, but we're recording from different countries. And tell the listeners where you are today. I'm currently in Mexico City. I'm here for three weeks all together, and I'm spending the first week hanging out with a couple friends who are here and just kind of seeing the sights, and we're planning on climbing a volcano on Saturday. Um, but then starting Monday next week, I'm doing a two-week intensive Spanish course. That's 30 hours of Spanish per week. So that's going to be a whole different kind of adventure. Wow, that's a lot of Spanish. A lot of and Spanish. What's, I guess what's the goal there? Is it just a language you wanted to pick up or are you learning it for a specific reason? It's kind of just something I've said that I want to do for years. Um, I... I think it's really useful to know another language, and I currently only know English. I can kind of understand a bit of Spanish, but I have zero confidence when it comes to speaking it. So I'm hoping that two weeks of 30 hours a week of class will kind of get me to the point where I can just feel okay getting out there and probably making a bit of a fool of myself. But that's what that's basically what the goal is to just start doing that. Yeah, so you'll at least be able to have basic conversations and get around mm -hmm. a little bit better in Spanish-speaking countries. Exactly. I've got an interesting situation coming up. I also don't speak fully, fluently anything other than English, but I speak a tiny bit of Spanish and a tiny bit of French and a tiny bit of German. And I'm going to be in Luxembourg for a few days next month. And from what I understand, depending on where you are in that country, which is a very small country, but the people may speak more French or more German, and some may speak English, but it's 
my little bit of knowledge in those two languages is going to be all mixed together and be a big mess. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a little concerned about that trip and hopefully I'll be able to get through. I'm sure I will be. I haven't, I've been to countries where I haven't spoken any of the language and I've been okay, but it'll be fun uh, trying to figure out which language I'm supposed to be speaking in for those few days. Yeah, nice. So let's talk a little bit about um, your traveling. You weren't always a traveler. You obviously went to school. You got a degree from college. When was it that you started traveling more seriously or really got into, I guess, the the miles and points game, which is, is where we first met? Yeah. So I definitely always was interested in traveling from the time I was really young. But my parents both worked full time and had limited vacation time. So when we went on vacation, it was like once per year. And it was usually a pretty nice vacation because they they just that's what they wanted. And so I never really realized until way later that traveling could be affordable. I always thought like, oh, I'm just I'm going to maybe be able to take one week of vacation a year for my entire life. But when I was in um when I was in college in 2011, I did a month-long bus trip around Europe with top deck tours. And I mean, now you would probably never catch me on a bus for a month. But at the time, it was kind of my only option because my parents didn't think I was capable of traveling by myself. Um, So they kind of... And that's a great way to start out. Um, I know several people who have done those bus tours around Europe. And again, like you said... It was. It isn't something that I would do now, having traveled where I've traveled and and what I've done. But it is a good way to see a lot and kind of get exposed to that travel lifestyle and exposed to moving place to Definitely. place. Definitely. And I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It was a ton of fun. Um, I I loved it. I made friends that I am still in contact with to this day. Um, and I it, it just made me realize also that that travel could be affordable because. I don't remember exactly how much it cost, but I think for the month-long trip, it was around four, four or five grand, um, and it included most of our food and all of our accommodation and all of our transportation. So the only extra expenses uh, were the the flight to get to and from London, which is where the tour started and ended, and then any extra activities and souvenirs and that type of thing that we did along the way. Um, so that trip just really made opened my eyes and it made me want to travel so much more and visit so many more places. And when I got home, I was like, okay, how do I do this? How can I afford to travel more often? And I was studying engineering at the time. So I knew that I was probably going to have limited time off in my working career, assuming that I stuck with my planned working career, which ultimately didn't happen, but I'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> so many of us don't end up in that same place we expected yeah. to when we were in college. So I, I don't know exactly even how it happened, but I came across some points in Miles' blog, I assume, and it's pretty much like the rest was history. It's like, I didn't even know this the whole travel hacking world existed. And then the next day, I was spending hours every day reading about points in Miles because I saw the potential and I saw that it was the way that I could afford to travel. Yeah. And I think that's the way uh, a lot of us fell into this hobby is that you read one thing and you think, 
oh my gosh, this works. Can I, does this really yeah, work? How exactly. does this work? And then you just start looking more and more into it. And I found as I've talked to people in the miles and points community that a lot of us have a technical background. You mentioned you were going to school for engineering. My uh, college degree is also in engineering. A lot of people do tech things, do IT. Uh, I think a, a lot of that mindset of that technical and that problem solving really helps with figuring out how these programs work. And it's something that you can fall deep into a hole and there's so much to read about it, but it's really rewarding once you uh, climb out and start traveling. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now, we we met... We met in 2013. Okay, yeah. So not too long after you had started, but a, a little while after you had started reading things and earning your miles and points. Um, right. And we met at a, a frequent traveler university, right? Yes, in Washington, D.C. Yeah, so... Uh, I remember it very well because it was actually the weekend in between my last two weeks of finals of my senior year. So I still had finals to go back to after that weekend in D.C. And I was totally supposed to study while I was there. And obviously, I was only studying points and miles and new friends. Yeah, and most people, um, their senior year of college, as they're finishing out, would be studying. Like you said, that weekend before their last finals and trying to finish things out. But instead, you thought, maybe I can squeeze in this trip to D.C. and I can learn about some miles and uh then I can start traveling as soon as I finish these last couple of finals, which seems yeah. to have worked out for you so far. So Yeah, it worked out pretty well. Now, when you travel, you're... I kind of know the answer to this, but our listeners don't. So what's what's your travel style like? Do you go on your own a lot? Or do you travel as a couple? Do you travel with groups of friends? And what level of splurge do you have? You said when your parents... When you would travel with them, it was more of an expensive trip. Um, do you continue to do that now, or do you offset most of the things you can with credit card rewards? How, what's your travel style? In short, my travel style is probably a little bit of everything. Um, I definitely I love to travel on my own because I like to have the chance to just do the things that I'm interested in and not really have to consider what other people want to do. And I also like to have the chance to make new friends. And I find that that's easiest when I'm traveling on my own. But I also travel quite a bit with my boyfriend. And I also love to travel with other friends who like to travel. So I kind of try to mix it up. And it's just, it's never really the same. And then in terms of the cost, it's also still kind of a bit of everything. I definitely do like the occasional splurge. And when I'm splurging, it's usually with points or a mistake fare. So like a few weeks ago, I stayed at a really nice hotel in downtown Madrid that was a Marriott autograph collection property. And I think it would have cost like 400 or 500 euro a night. I'm definitely not going to pay that price, but I was able to redeem some certificates and stay there for a week for free. So that was awesome. But overall... Yeah, that's the best when you can um, use those certificates and stay at the super nice properties and just relax and pamper yourself mm-hmm. for a few days. That's one of the, the better parts of using the hotel points or the credit card free nights that they give you from having various cards. Definitely. 
Um, but overall, I would say when I'm traveling from the cost perspective, I just try to think about like what it would cost me to live in one place. And I am somewhat unique in that I don't really have expenses at home when I'm not at home. Um, I, I have a place that I live, but we Airbnb it when we're traveling. So it doesn't cost us anything to not be living there. And I mean, I, I don't have a car. The only expense I really have at home when I'm not at home is paying for part of the car insurance on my boyfriend's car um, because I do drive it when I'm home. So I just look at things from the perspective of what it would cost me to live somewhere. And a lot of places that I'm interested in living, I would probably be paying around $1,000 per month in rent. So that works out to about $33 a night. So anytime I'm traveling around the world, if I'm spending, give or take, $33 a night on average, it's costing me that same $1,000 a month. And sometimes it's not possible to stay somewhere for under $33. So, you know, I'll stay somewhere that costs $50 a night, but then I'll be in Southeast Asia later in the year and I'll be staying somewhere that only costs $10 a night. So I find that it all pretty much evens out. Um, and same, same with food. I mean, no matter where you are, you have to eat. Um, I definitely do like to go out and splurge on a nice dinner sometimes, but I would probably do that if I lived somewhere permanently as well. So I just like to look at it from that perspective. Yeah. And it's interesting that you put it that way because we uh, live just outside of DC. Um, not you and me, we, my family and me, we, but we live just outside of DC. And often when we're looking at traveling places, people will say, or we'll read online that, oh, this is really expensive. And this is, uh, it's so expensive to eat here. Or alcohol is really expensive. If you go out, you're going to spend a ton of money. And the last couple places where we've gone, where we've read those kinds of things, we got there and my wife and I would order drinks and we'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's cheaper than it is at home because DC is a fairly expensive place to live, especially if you're going out in the city and getting a beer, or getting a cocktail, um, even the quote unquote expensive places around the world, you can get things for similar pricing. So it's, I don't know, I, I haven't decided if it's a good thing or a bad thing that I live somewhere that's so expensive because it makes things seem not as bad around the world. But at the same time, right. I'm paying the expensive prices all the time where I am. So it's, I guess it's good and bad. And I don't know, who knows how long we'll be here, certainly until the kids get through school, because they're in a great school district. But definitely, probably once, once that's done, we're heading somewhere else around the world well, to be determined. Another tip that I have just about keeping expenses kind of under control while traveling, pretty much anytime I'm staying somewhere longer than three or four nights, if I'm traveling with other people, at least I'm probably staying in an Airbnb with a kitchen. And so places where food is really expensive, you like you don't have to pay those expensive prices. You can just go to the grocery store and cook your own food. And going to the grocery store in foreign countries, I think is a super interesting experience anyway. So I'd probably do it even if I didn't have to cook my own food or you know didn't even have a kitchen to cook food in. Yeah, and that's especially good. We definitely stop in grocery stores everywhere we travel. It's one of the, especially the candy and chip aisle. We like to try <laughs> new things everywhere we go. In the beer but aisle. That's yeah, well, definitely the beer aisle. Yeah, but that's a a really good tip for people. And I'll add that especially for breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, 
having just a, even a little tiny kitchen where you can make some eggs or where you can have cereal and milk and have a fridge. Breakfast is not a meal where, unless you're going out to a fancy brunch or if you're going to one of the whatever top 10 breakfast restaurants in the world or something, if that, I'm sure that list exists somewhere. I don't know what it is, but um, if you're going out for a, a whole day of sightseeing, a lot of times you want to get started and get going and get to your first place. So to be able to have that quick breakfast at the Airbnb or at home, wherever you are, where you're traveling, is a, a great way to save some money and a great way to get your day started a little bit quicker when you're traveling. Definitely. So you've been a lot of places. You've, I, you're definitely ahead of me on the number of countries you've been to. How many have you been to at this point? I've been to 81 countries so far. 81 countries. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I, I took a look at your website before this, and you need to update that. I know. <laughs> I've actually been working on a full website redesign for a few months now, and it's just one of those things that's constantly at the bottom of my to-do list. Hopefully one of these days it will be finished and then it will be up to date and nice and shiny and new looking. So 81 countries at this point. Yes. Out of those 81, you have not been to all mainstream countries or countries that most, uh, at least Americans would think of people traveling to. Definitely not all No, you've been to some more off the beaten path places. Um, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, I know you went on a, a trip of a variety of stands. Which countries did you visit on that trip? That trip was, I started in Uzbekistan and then went to Tajikistan and made a quick little border hop over to, to Afghanistan for a few days and then ended that part of the trip in Kyrgyzstan. Okay, so a lot of stands, yes. a lot of those uh, countries that most people you talk to don't typically travel to. What was your experience there? Is that uh, an area of the world that you would recommend going to? Was it someplace that you saw and you glad you, you're glad you saw it and then you never want to go back? What was your feeling on those countries? That was actually one of my favorite trips. I think it was the first like really off the beaten path trip that I did um, and I would, I would definitely go back. Everywhere that I was was really safe. Obviously, there are some parts of that region that aren't that safe, um, specifically in Afghanistan. And it's actually funny because my friend Cole that I'm traveling with right now, we met in Tajikistan and we did like a two and a half week trip through the country together because there, there aren't a ton of tourists and it's really beneficial to kind of meet up with somebody and share costs, especially if you're planning to um, hire your own driver and car, which we did because it gives a lot more flexibility as to where you can stop and how long and what you can see. And having that local guide or that local driver will also help you to stay a little bit safer, I would think, in some of those areas because they know where you should and shouldn't go. Yeah, that's that's probably true. I, I mean, I really wasn't I, I think Tajikistan and Uzbekistan are pretty safe countries. Like I wouldn't really be too worried about it from that perspective, but having somebody who can speak English and explain different things to us was really helpful because we learned a lot more than we would have if we had just done a shared taxi where we were the only two people who spoke English. 
yeah, rather than just seeing things and kind of wondering what they are, you learn a little bit of that history or you learn about what's going on in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you also, I would guess that you learned what dishes you should try, what drinks, what what kind of things you should experience and got some good recommendations. Um, it's There's not much variety when it comes to the food, especially out in like the east part of Tajikistan where we were. Like there's like not really a whole lot of people live there. So you kind of eat whatever is served to you and they serve to you whatever they have to serve to you. Oh, so that's (laughs) a place that my children would definitely not want to go. Yeah, it's I would say it's not good for picky eaters. No, definitely not. I think I would enjoy it because I I will often pick whatever looks good or whatever the local dish is or whatever. Um someone at another table has that I think looks tasty. So that, that would be a great place for me to travel, but my kids, not so much. Yeah. It's amazingly beautiful though. The mountains are just so high and it's at the stars, like there's no light pollution. It's just mesmerizing. It's so beautiful there. So that's the good side of things. Are there any countries that you've been to or even cities that you've been to that you wouldn't go back to that you haven't liked? Um, I, I definitely have places that I haven't liked as much, but I try to make a point of finding the good in places I travel. Like, I, I really don't think that there's anywhere in the whole world that's just bad, because if there, if there was, then, like, why would anybody live there? Um, so I just, I have, I definitely have places that didn't give me a good first impression or... Um, that I just don't prefer compared to other places that I like a lot more. But there's nowhere that I honestly wouldn't go back to and that I, I wouldn't like continue trying to find what's good about that place. And I think that's a great attitude when you're traveling. I guess I, I have a similar view in that I won't give up on a place after just one visit. And I may not be, if I didn't really like a city, I won't be itching to go back there, but I'm also not going to write it off completely. And if I have another opportunity, I'll stop by and see if there's something I missed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of similar. I read, I don't even remember what it was. It was a some sort of food review, reviewer. I read an article about them a while back and they said that they won't give a restaurant a bad rating until they've eaten there three times. Hmm because you never know if the one time that you were there, the chef's dog got ran over this morning and their teenager ran away and their wife left them. Right. And you have no idea what kind of day that person was having, but they probably won't have three days like that if you go back different times. So I kind of give the same attitude to cities and countries. Though there, like, like you said, there aren't a lot of places that I've been to where I was like, man, I don't really like this place. I don't want to go back because there's always something, re- some redeeming quality, right. um, something cool to see or something neat to do where wherever I've been in the world. Mm-hmm. And we talked about uh, your current trip a little bit. You're in Mexico mm-hmm. for a few weeks. What was the... Uh, last trip that you took? The last trip I took was to Spain. Um, I was there for a full month from the beginning of April till the beginning of May. And we did kind of a slow trip for that one. Um, we decided to just choose four places and stay in each place for a week. We had a few extra days, like in, in between each set of four, we had one extra day 
also, but um, for the most part, it was it was just four different locations for that trip. So we did like one week up near the Pyrenees in northern Spain, and then a week in Girona, which is just outside of Barcelona. Um, and that's a really big cycling destination. And my boyfriend, Brendan, is really into cycling. So we did some cycling around there. And then we spent a week in Barcelona and a week in Madrid. So that's kind of cool doing that extended period of time rather than a day right. or two. You get to know a little bit of which areas of the city you like or which restaurants you may want to go back to or kind right. of rather than hitting all the tourist spots or hitting this this list of things you need to do in Barcelona, you have time to relax in an outdoor cafe or sit in the park and read a book for a while and kind of live more like the locals do. Yeah. And since we both work online and we work while we travel, we kind of have to do that. Anything less than four days in a city. And we almost don't have time to see anything because we're still spending, you know, at least four to six hours a day, probably working. And um, even on the weekends, usually we usually work a little bit less during the week and then work on the weekend to make up for it. So it's, it's hard to go to a place for only a day because by the time you spend the time getting there, that's already the time that was allocated to not doing work. Yeah. So that's actually transitions into one of my next questions that listeners are probably wondering at this point when they hear you're in Mexico for three weeks, you went to Spain for four weeks, you do these uh, extended trips what is it that you do for a living that lets you travel this much? I do freelance writing now. Um, and I started out freelancing mainly about points and miles and travel hacking. But that's kind of growing now into also writing a bit about travel and writing a lot about personal finance. Oh, okay. So you've, you've transitioned even within that writing realm. Uh, you started out in engineering and that wasn't that's what you got your degree in, mm-hmm. but not what you ended up wanting to do. And I, I kind of followed a similar path where I, mine has been more extended and I owned a Kentucky fried chicken <laughs> in there for a while, but I, I transitioned into this freelance writing, uh, probably, I don't know, a year or two after you started doing it really seriously, maybe even a couple of years after. So I don't know, maybe this is like my future. Maybe I'll end up doing more personal finance writing as time goes on. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting to, to see where things, uh, where things end up. So you're, you're mostly doing writing when you say that four to six hours a day, you're, you're getting assignments done, you're getting articles written, you're editing things. Yeah. And um, I mean, re- researching and just staying on, uh, on top of any current news. Uh, I, about half of the stories I write, I'm assigned and the other half I pitch. Actually, I probably pitch more than I even get assigned now. Um, So I kind of have to stay on top of stuff to even know what there is to write about. And it's it's sometimes hard to even call it work, though, because all of the staying on top of the Points and Miles news I've been doing since 2011. And I love it. And I would even still be doing that if it wasn't work. So I, I track my time, but I sometimes don't do a good job of tracking the time I spend doing things that don't feel like work. So the things you would do anyway, now someone's just paying you to write a summary of what you would have read anyway. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. 
that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, And that's somewhat what I'm doing at this point too. I tend to not work as much as you do when I'm on vacation, but I also don't travel nearly as much so I can afford to take a week or two and Mm -hmm. not do much writing. But I am, I'll be in France for a month that Luxembourg quick visit that I mentioned earlier is part of that trip, but I'll be there for a month. So I'm certainly going to have to find some time to work there. Uh, mostly so I can afford to be in France for a month. Definitely. So what's the, I guess the other side of that is what's the next trip? What's on the horizon? Do you have anything exciting planned that you, you can't wait to get to? I always have exciting things planned. Um, but so part of the reason why I'm really wanting to learn Spanish now is I'm actually planning on spending most of the rest of the year in Spanish speaking countries. So I figure that it would be a really good chance to kind of just get a kickstart. Um, I'm, I'm going back to Michigan where my parents live after Mexico for a couple of weeks. But after that, I'm doing um, Air, uh, Air France has an island hopper flight that goes through the Caribbean from Miami to Cayenne, French Guiana. And I'm doing that with one of my friends. And then we'll be traveling overland through northern south america for about 10 days together and then i'm going to hop around some caribbean islands for about another 10 days and then from there i fly to peru and i'll do um i'll actually take a week of real vacation to do a trek in peru and then i'm tentatively pretty much planning on spending a month in bolivia a month in peru and a month in colombia And then that takes us to mid-November where I'll go to Costa Rica for a month and I'm doing this like co-working, co-living community um, that's called the Wi-Fi tribe. Everyone who's in the Wi-Fi tribe is either self-employed or works remotely and they have chapters all over the world where you just meet up with all of these people and hang out with them for a month and work with them for a month and network and learn from them. And I've never done anything like that before, so I'm pretty excited for that. That sounds like an amazing, I guess, several months worth of travel. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, I want to touch base on a couple of things that you mentioned there. The first one was the Air France island hopper, you said. Does that stop at multiple islands in the Caribbean? Yeah, it stops, I believe, in three islands, um, but it's they're short stops. They're like you know 45 minutes. They get people off the plane and get more people on the plane. And we're not staying in any of those islands. We're just stopping there on the flight. Um, but it's just kind of one of those AV geek routes that, like, why not take it when you're trying to get to French Guiana anyway? Yeah, and I'm actually, I, I'm shocked that I haven't heard of this island hopper. I'm shocked too. <laughs> I, I I don't know how I missed it, but I took the United has an island hopper that goes from uh, Honolulu to Guam. And I took that mm-hmm. actually on a mistake fair a couple of years ago. And it was a similar I took thing. It on that same mistake fair at a different time than you. Yeah. And you, <laughs> you stop at several islands, but really the cool part about it is flying in and out of the islands because it's just beautiful. And I would mm-hmm. assume it's going to be a similar case in the Caribbean. And when we get done with this recording, I'm probably going to go research that flight and try and yeah. figure out how to get on it. Do it. That, sounds, that sounds really cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch base on um, is you, you said you were taking a week of real vacation in 
Peru and uh-huh. going trekking. And I know a little bit about this from the, the posts I've seen you make and gathering people to do that with you. But uh, tell the listeners what that is, because a lot of people will go and do a, a day trip to Machu Picchu, or a lot of people will hike the the Inca Trail is what a lot of people know it as, which is, I think, a f- either a three-night or a four-night trek. Mm-hmm. But you looked at those options and you said to yourself, yeah, there's there's got to be something harder. So well, not what, what exactly is it that you're doing? Not necessarily something harder. It's still kind of in the same region as the Inca Trail, but the Inca Trail is really difficult to get a permit to. Sometimes like you, you really have to plan that in advance. And when I was researching, a a girlfriend of mine and I decided this was something we wanted to do in August. And we were researching just to know what our options were. And we came across this other trek that I can't really remember the name of right now, but it goes, it still ends at Machu Picchu, but it just follows a different route. And on the way, you see some other ruins that are not as well developed as Machu Picchu, um, and not as many people go to them currently. And I, I may butcher the name, but it's, I think it's something like Chacacaro. Yeah, right. It's something like that. <laughs> but there, that may have not been pronounced right, and there may have been syllables missing. I'll learn how to say um, it at some point here. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can uh, learn that in Spanish class. Yeah, well, I don't even know if it's Spanish or not. Oh, but yeah, it would anyway. be... <laughs> So there, apparently, the Peruvian government is planning on building a cable car that goes up to these ruins. And currently, it's a two-day trek to get to them. So when we read that, we were kind of like, oh, you know, now is a good chance to go before everyone else starts going there. And as a bonus, there is no permit required. So it kind of opened up our ability to just choose whichever day worked the best for us rather than what day had permits available. And then you'll come in to Machu Picchu kind of from the opposite direction, but still on those old trails that yeah. that were built so long ago. Mm-hmm. And then since there's no permit required, we realized that we could actually make it cheaper per person by having more people come. So one of my good friends from Colorado wanted to come, and then Becca's old friend from middle school wanted to come, and then another girl that we randomly know through other people was also interested in coming. So it's kind of, oh, and my other friend from Colorado then wanted to join. So it's now a group of six of us, and we all pretty much know at least two other people on the trek, but it's a lot of still like new friendships to be forged and we still have room for two more people. So I'm really excited to do just a a good like week long trip with a group of friends. That'll be really cool. Um, I want to recommend to you, I don't know if you've read it or not, but before I went to Machu Picchu, my wife had picked up a book for me. It's called Turn Right at Machu Picchu rediscovering the lost city one step at a time and it's by mark adams and i'll put a link in the show notes here and i'll send it to you as well but when you when i saw the trip that you were doing i thought huh that's the trip from the book that's the hiking that he did and it's oh that's so cool it what the book is is he's a a journalist who took time off and i just found out he did another one in, in the wilds of alaska and i that's on my list of things to get next because 
it's a it's a long book and some of it's a tough read but it's super interesting and when you get to Machu Picchu when you get to these ruins you're going to be like oh yeah I read that in the book and I did that but he was um he took time off and he tried to follow the original path of um oh what's the guy's name Hiram Bingham I believe the the I don't want to say the original discoverer of Machu Picchu, but the 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 modern time explorer who found Machu Picchu. Uh, there were clearly still people living around there, so they all knew about it, but really publicized um, Machu Picchu, and this was the the route that he took to get there. So this guy Mark Adams went and recreated that and hired a guide and, and went on the hike and you see his struggles going through that and kind of learn about that whole area. But it, I think it mirrors your path a lot. So it would be really cool for you to read or maybe even cool. take along, probably not take along cause it's, it's a heavy paperback, but I read on a Kindle now. <laughs> yeah, so, so throw it on your Kindle then maybe, and uh, yeah. it would be cool to read as you go. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for the recommendation. So let's talk a little bit. We talked about your travels the other side of this podcast is is beer. I'm actually having a beer as we chat because I'm on the East Coast. And although it's still morning in Mexico, it's a little afternoon here. So I feel like that's okay. I'm having one from a, a local brewery called Old Ox Brewery. And I'm having one of their IPAs. It's called I Am Brute. And it's okay. the, the label is modeled after uh, Groot from the uh, guardians of the galaxy okay so it has a thing on the back of all the different emphasis emphasized words where you can say i am brute and what it means and i am brute i am brute i am brute i am brute (laughs) so it's kind of amusing but uh it's a, a pretty good ipa that i i'm having while we chat here um but i know that you are also a huge fan a huge fan of craft beer and i know that you and i together have had craft beer in multiple countries and Mm -hmm. definitely uh, multiple beers in some places to the point where we probably had a couple too many. But I want to talk a little bit about how beer fits into your travels and what what your attitude is for for drinking while you travel. Mm -hmm. It I mean, it, it depends so much. I definitely always like to try the local beer if I if I get an opportunity to like the first time I'm out at a restaurant in a new country if I haven't had the beer even if it's the big like you know national beer or whatever that's probably just a boring tasting lager I usually still like to try it um I sometimes will seek out microbreweries or beer bars if I'm in a city but not necessarily it kind of just depends on what else I'm I'm doing and um, how much time I have, and also like how well known the country is for good beer. Like in Spain, we didn't really drink beer; we drank wine the whole time we were there. I had a few beers, but it wasn't really a thing. Even though I'm sure there are some great breweries in Spain, and I'm sure there are some great beer bars in like Madrid and Barcelona, it just wasn't something that really was on my radar. Um, yeah. And it, the, similarly, when I'm in France, I'll stop by a couple of craft beer bars. 
Um, and I think there's one brewery that I'm going to try and visit, but mostly I'll be drinking wine and I'll be drinking a whole lot of champagne <laughs> when I'm in the champagne region. Definitely. But definitely whenever I'm in the U.S., I think the U.S. has like overall the best beer scene. And especially since I live in Colorado now, but I'm from Michigan and Colorado and Michigan are two of the best states for good beer. And when I'm home, I pretty much exclusively drink beer. Maybe I'll have a glass of wine out at a restaurant or a cocktail occasionally, but almost exclusively beer. And I have my beer stores that I like that I know carry a lot of good stuff and are always getting new beers from around the country. And I'll just go buy whatever looks good. And that's what I drink at home. And you are pretty reliable, pretty good at, I guess, uh, logging the different beers you've tried mm -hmm. on untapped. And I saw you tweeted something the other day or put it on Facebook or I don't know, one of the multiple places that I follow you on social media. What was the number of unique beers you've had at this point that you've logged to untapped? I've logged 1,133 unique beers. And I'm pretty reliable at logging stuff, but I know there are a few at least that I haven't logged. Definitely a couple that uh, later in the night may not get put in, I think. Or it's it's even more like it's not coming up on Untapped right now, so I'll make a note to do it later and then I never do. Yeah, and that's uh, a serious number of beers. Mm -hmm. I am terrible, <laughs> absolutely terrible at logging things on Untapped to the point where if people ask if I'm on untapped at this point, I just say, yeah, but you really shouldn't bother following me <laughs> because I'm just not good at it. So I wish that I was disciplined enough to actually do that a little bit more. My thing, what are some of the, no, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say my big thing is I like could never otherwise remember if I liked something because I try so many different things and sometimes I'll be at the store and I'll be looking at a beer. I'll be like, Oh, this sounds good. But I'll look it up and realize I tried it like two months ago and that I actually hated it. And I especially like, um, like sours and Belgians, which tend to be pretty more on the expensive side. So I really don't want to buy duplicates of beers that I've already tried and didn't love. So I think that's really my big motivation behind logging beers. So like, yeah, whereas I, yeah. I go to the beer store and I see a label or I see a name of a beer and I think, yeah, I've had that. And then I have no idea if I liked it <laughs> or didn't like it because I have no record of it anywhere. Mm -hmm. So you're probably doing it a better way than I am on that front. Um, but I'll just keep going to different countries and trying the beer there because I'm pretty sure I haven't had any uh, of the local beers from the tiny brewery on the Gold Coast in Australia. Definitely. So That's always that worked out for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are there any places you mentioned Colorado and Michigan as uh, great places for craft beer, great places to get a beer? Uh -huh. uh, is there anywhere else uh, in the world or in the U.S. specifically that you would recommend going that you've been that has a great beer culture or anywhere that you're looking forward to? Uh, visiting to try the beer culture? I would say in the U.S., definitely California and Oregon both have good uh, beer scenes also. And then as far as abroad, I, I mean, I love, I've been to Belgium. I love Belgian beers, but I wasn't into beer yet when I was there. So I am really looking forward to at some point planning a big 
trip to Belgium that's just for the purpose of drinking a lot of beer. And I have a friend at home who I plan to do that with. And I'm other than that, I've, I've had some good beers from some just like random places. Like I had a really great cloudy IPA in um, Seoul, South Korea last year. And like, I mean, the cloudy IPA is kind of the Northeast US style beer. So it was really fascinating to see that that style had made its way all the way to this tiny brewery in South Korea. And it was one of the best cloudy IPAs I've ever had. So that was even more fascinating that they did such a good job with it. Yeah. And they must have been uh, doing something with the with the water to get that to work out like mm-hmm. that. I was I, I think it was the last episode I was uh, talking to the guys at Hop and Sting Brewing in uh, Grapevine, Texas, and they have a the the cloudy or the hazy IPA that is just perfect, and they get it that way because they treat the water and they add the the minerals or the chemicals or whatever they need to make the water that they're using to brew that match what the water is like in New yeah. England, and that's why you see so many of those coming out of New England. So I wonder if that brewery in Seoul was doing mm-hmm. that same thing. Uh, because that seems to be the only way to really get those to be good and hazy and juicy and and Mm -hmm. fruity the way that they're Mm -hmm. supposed to be. So we'll swing back around uh, at the end here. We've talked a little bit about travel, a little bit about beer. We talked about when you got into travel, what is it that makes you keep wanting to travel? What do you love most about travel that keeps pulling you back, that keeps making you book that ticket and and get back out there on the road? It's a lot of different things. I mean, I think what like when I'm looking far ahead at my travel and like, I mean, I really I have this goal of wanting to visit every country. Um, So that's like definitely motivating. I've always been, you know, motivated by lists and like, you know, wanting to complete something. But I also love so much more about travel than just, you know, checking that box. Um, I, I love food so much, like local food. I want to try all the weird stuff. And like, I'll literally try anything like bugs, goat testicles, like pretty much you name it, I'll try it at least once. Might not like it, but I'll try it. Um, and also, there is definitely an aspect to, to traveling that's like, chasing the deal, which comes from the points and miles. It's like when there's a mistake fair, I'm like, oh, I have to book this. Like even I like I didn't plan on going to Thailand this year, but there's a $600 round trip business class mistake fair. So like, I guess I'm going to go to Thailand this year. And when it comes time to actually booking the tickets, sometimes I plan it out in advance, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, there's this great deal. I have to do it now. Yeah. And I have that, that same kind of thing. I was just looking um, right now for, I think, the next couple days, which won't be applicable by the time this podcast actually goes live. But while we're recording, um, Air France is doing a, one of their super web special things. So it's um, okay. using their miles in the Flying Blue program. Washington, D.C. is one of the cities that's on the list. And I can go Washington, D.C. to anywhere in Europe or anywhere in Europe to Washington, D.C., in economy for 12,500 miles. And I saw that last night mm-hmm. and I said, all right, when can I fit a trip in? Cause that you have to book between, <laughs> I think it's the beginning of September and like the 12th of December. And I'm already going to be 
um, in Europe for Oktoberfest and Pilsenfest and Prague and Budapest. And I, so I have like a 12 or 14 day trip in the middle of that. And I, I'm trying to figure out when I can take advantage of this more because they actually, Europe for them includes uh, a couple of oddities. It includes Israel and it includes Morocco. So mm-hmm. I've, and Algeria. I, I've definitely wanted to go back <laughs> to Morocco after I spent one day in, in Tangier uh, a couple of years ago, just a day trip from Spain. And so I, I saw that deal and I was like, must book ticket. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm, I'm already going to rebook my flights over to Oktoberfest um, because nice. I, can, I can do it cheaper this way, even paying the penalty to cancel the one ticket. Um, it still ends up cheaper. But I'm going to try and find, I don't know, at least two or three other trips, <laughs> as many as I can fit into that time frame. But I agree with you a lot uh, on those reasons for travel. The, the food is what drives me. The food and the beer is what drives me most places I go. That I mm-hmm. want to try what there is to try, taste those new flavors and the spice combinations and the dishes that I've never had before. And there's just so much out there to see, and I want to see it all. So mm-hmm. I don't think the uh, travel bug is going to leave either of us anytime soon. Um, oh, no, I don't think so I'm, either. I'm sure we've traveled a couple of times in the past. I'm sure we'll travel together a couple of times in the future and uh, to, I hope to so. fun locations. And we'll, it feels like it's been a while. It has been a while. It's been... Well, a, a couple of years now since we went uh, to Iceland it, and then Germany. Together. A year and a half. Yeah. Since the last Oktoberfest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what we can do. We'll come up with something to uh, do another visit uh, or another trip somewhere fun in the next couple of years. But as we wrap up the podcast here, let's uh, let people know where they can find you. What's the, the website that is hopefully soon to be redesigned and updated <laughs> but there's still some great information on there uh, just just a quick note so people know to look at it one cool thing that you do on your website that a lot of travelers or a lot of bloggers don't do is you're pretty upfront about the costs of your travel and you actually mm-hmm. have uh, yearly recaps of what your costs were for traveling that year and your your freelancing costs and and how things worked out and then you have a, a cool section on your website. The heading is country cost, and you outline how many days you were in each country and your cost per day for that. So it's a, a really good resource, especially as, as you update and as you go to more and more countries. It's a really good resource for people to see kind of the comparative costs, and their costs may not be the same as what yours were, but they can see mm-hmm. country to country with your kind of travel style this one was more expensive this one was less expensive so that's kind of cool but tell people where they can find that and where they can find you on social media so my website is carolinelupini.com hopefully the new updated version will be coming soon and definitely i i love the country cost thing but i need to get back into gear about actually keeping track of all that stuff because it is very difficult to do that and i it's, it's just like, it's like a crazy thing to have to remember to do. And I, I track things in different ways. And so I have to like figure out a new system to start doing that again. So that's like not fully 
up to date or accurate necessarily anymore, but I'm going to work on getting it back to that point. But now that I've um, told everyone that it's there and that uh, <laughs> that it's there, <laughs> should go see it. Now you almost have to do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then on social media, Twitter at Caroline Lupini, at, uh, Instagram at Caroline Lupini, and then Facebook just Caroline Lupini. So it should be all pretty straightforward to find. And they can find you on all sorts of uh, travel and finance outlets. As a writer, you have a lot of those linked on your website, but a a simple Google search will uh, find a lot of things written by you all over the web. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think... I will definitely link up all of those things in the show notes at the end of the show, not at the end of the show and underneath the show. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you go to the site, you'll see the links there. Uh, pretty hard to link things in voice. They haven't come up with that technology yet, but uh, as we wrap up, I'm going to let you uh, get on with your day and go enjoy Mexico. Obviously best of Thank luck you. to you on your two weeks of intensive Spanish. Hopefully you learn enough that next time we travel to a Spanish speaking place together, I won't even have to think about it and you can just do all the talking. That'll be great. That that would be great. (laughs) I'll, I'll do my best. I'll let you know how it goes. But thank you so much for taking time out of your trip to chat with me today. And, uh, I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, same. And thanks for having me. This was so fun. It was nice to catch up. It's been a while. Yeah, definitely. Have fun in Mexico. Thanks. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed that brief conversation with Caroline Lupini. As this episode goes live, she's right in the middle of that intensive Spanish class that she mentioned at the beginning, so let's all wish her good luck with that. As of now, Caroline and I won't cross paths with our travels for the rest of this year, but I have been known to book some last-minute travel on a whim, and she definitely has too, so I guess you never really know. All of the important points and links that Caroline and I talked about will be in the show notes, so you can check there to pick up anything you missed the first time. And that's all we have for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so that you can hear all of the new episodes we have coming down the line. Also, tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy too. Until next time, safe travels, happy drinking, and cheers! We'll see you in the tap room.
Sound.